The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter Powered. By Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and it is another podcast coming off a loss. I mean, think about these podcasts that we have just been churning out one after another, week after week, and the only time we had to talk about a victory was after the Detroit Lions game on Thanksgiving, and there was nothing to talk about because that was a useless victory with all the Matt Nagy news and everything going on. So we haven't talked about a win on this podcast, really embraced a win since that Raiders win where they went to 3-2, and two, and now 1-9? and nine? Since then, one and eight, one and eight since that three, since they moved to three and two. And that's just, that just makes for a brutal season. Justin Fields are not to watch. That is just, and, and look, it's the pattern of these Matt Nagy teams, right? They get off to, you know, for 2019, 2020, and 2021, they get off to a pretty good start. They have a huge slump in the middle of the season that puts them behind the eight ball. And then they try and recover at the end of the season. 28 2019 they got themselves to eight and eight but they didn't make the playoffs 2020 they managed to squeeze into the playoffs before they were beaten by a clearly superior new orleans saints team and now in 2021 the end of the season they are not going to recover even if they win these last three games it's no better than seven and ten they definitely had opportunities at victories here the last you know month of the season they're definitely winnable games that they could not nail down those victories. The Ravens and the Pittsburgh games are are, are perfect examples. And this Vikings game, this Vikings game was so winnable for the Bears. I mean, other than turnovers, and I get it, you lose the turnover battle, you're going to lose games. But other than turnovers, if you looked at the box score, you would think the Chicago Bears dominated the Minnesota Vikings. Not that the Bears would win this game. You would have thought the Bears dominated this game. The Bears beat them in basically every category. They almost doubled them in total yards. Kirk Cousins had his worst yardage output of his career as a quarterback. They they bottled up Dalvin Cookwell barely over three yards a carry. The defense, this defense that I would think most Bears fans expected Kirk Cousins to throw for 400 yards against the secondary of mostly practice squad and backup players and people off the street. And they did a phenomenal job. Thomas Graham looked Awesome. And that was great to see out of the rookie. You sit there and and wonder, when was Thomas Graham ready to play? When this secondary has been getting torched and Kindle Vildor and and, and all these different guys, Crawford, have been getting torched all this time. Where was Thomas Graham in his progression? Now, look, we watched Thomas Graham in in preseason. He was bad, right? Thomas Graham did not look good in the preseason. Um, So I'm not sitting there saying Thomas Graham should have been out there week one. Clearly he wasn't ready. And keep in mind, Thomas Graham opted out of the 2020 season. So when he entered training camp there for the Bears this this July, this is a guy that hadn't played football in almost a year, right? So, or actually really almost two years, because you, you think about it, it was a good, you know, 20 months since he had last played football. So 
that's going to take him a while to get his football legs back underneath him. You wonder if that maybe maybe played a, a part into how poor he looked at the beginning of the season. And, and I credit Lester Wiltfong there. He was the one who brought that up on Twitter. I thought that was a really good point. The big boss man here at Windy City Gridiron, he brought that up. I think that's a good point. And that Graham behind the scenes has been improving and getting getting his legs under him and ready to play. And you just sit there and wonder, where, where was it? Where was the coaching recognition was he ready? this ready a month ago? I don't think this was fluky. I mean, those plays he made, those were heady, smart plays, really good, you know, getting his hand on the ball. Like, he played well. Like, I don't think it was, like, fluky where he just kind of got in the right place at the right time. He seemed like he was making good decisions in, in the passing game. So where was he? Where has he been these last few weeks? Did the Bears coaching staff really not recognize where he was? Was the, Is that the issue? I'm really curious how that works because this is not the first time that this coaching staff has struggled with recognition of who should be playing and who shouldn't be playing. And I bring up Rashad Coward from last year. I brought that up on Bear With Me when I was a uh, guest host with, with Robert Schmitz there on the postgame show. Rashad Coward was bad. I mean, really bad. The offensive output, the running game, once he came in, significantly decreased. You know, we're, we're hearing things. I remember having Lawrence Holmes on my podcast, and he was being told that he was tipping the play based on the weight distribution of his, of his three-point stance. For those that don't pay attention on offensive line play too much, three-point stance, you want to be totally balanced. You want to have your weight forward, but you still want don't want too much forward where if you picked up your hand, you'd fall. You want a balanced stance where your hand can come up and you still have enough weight on, on your back. But at the same time, you, you don't want to be too far back where you have to get your weight moving forward on, on a running play. So you want that really good balance where you can pop up in pass protection or move forward in, in, in a running play. And Coward was tipping too far back on pass plays and putting too much weight forward on running plays, and that was tipping the play to the defenses. And that's something you correct in, like, seventh, eighth grade. If you start playing football your freshman year, that's what they focus on your freshman year is the proper three-point stance. So you got Coward playing this game after game after game after game, and no surprise when he finally was moved back to the bench. And I understand a couple other things happened around the same time. Laser came in and started calling plays. Mitch came back in for Foles. I understand some things changed around the offense at the same time. But when Coward went to the bench, the offense significantly improved. And when Coward hasn't been playing at the beginning of the year, even with Foles, the offense was better. They just did not recognize of trying anything else on the offensive line other than him for basically two months of the season last year. And you sat there and went, who is making this decision? And now you sit there and go, Thomas Graham, when was he ready to play? Because the Bears coaching staff didn't recognize it. And that's the same thing again. Over and over again, we're talking about the issues with this coaching staff. And it's not just Matt Nagy. It's mostly Matt Nagy because it's his team. But it's these other coaches as well. And I thought Sean Desai had a brilliant plan for his defense, and they played really well and gave the Bears an awesome opportunity to win that game, and the offense couldn't do it. And what, what's remarkable is they really did move the ball pretty well from the 20 to the 20. They moved the ball up and down the field. I'm not saying it was just like a, a, ch a churning machine, but th there were enough first downs, and, and they were moving the ball into Minnesota territory. But every time, by the time they got to about the 20, when they started pushing into the red zone, nothing. They just, you know, they just looked like a peewee football team. Silly mistakes, silly penalties, poor play design, poor play calls. And, and, and look, you know, they brought this up on, on the broadcast last night. The Chicago Bears have more snaps in the Wildcat than any team in the NFL. Like, what? What, what are we doing Justin Fields is the Chicago Bears quarterback. Justin Fields is a dynamic athlete. He has athleticism. He, he has the capability to be the type of player who can beat you with his legs or his arm. So why isn't Justin Fields the one getting the ball and you're potentially using who is probably your most dangerous player on the offense and you keep lining up in the wildcat? 
I mean, we know Matt Nagy likes to choreograph his plays. You can't choreograph it any more than the Wildcat. And what you're doing is you're taking your best player and, you know, your most electric, your most dangerous player on offense, and you're neutralizing him and sitting him at, at, at the sidelines. Like, I understand if you have, like, you know, if Drew Brees is your quarterback and he's, you know, or Dan Marino back in the day, you know, when they're older and they can't move and they don't have much, much mobility. So you're going to use the Wildcat and, you know, you know, like the, the Saints would do with Taysom Hill sometimes when, when Brees was there. You know, I, I get that idea, but the Bears have Justin Fields. You sit there and go, Matt Nagy, what are you doing? And and another thing I'll say about how poor this red zone offense is, the one thing that I love that I think teams need to have in the red zone is that jump ball guy. That guy that the quarterback can just loft it up there. He's big, he's tall, he's an athlete, and he can go up there and grab 50-50 balls. And the Bears have two of them on the roster. Jimmy Graham, who I think that is literally his only role on this offense right now is to be that guy. And he had an opportunity and didn't didn't reel it in uh, against Minnesota. And Allen Robinson, who has barely been on the field this year when he has, it's like he hasn't even, isn't even being on the field. And Allen Robinson has been on this podcast. I'm a big Allen Robinson fan. But, you know, you got to be fair and criticize when criticism is warranted. And he has checked out of this season. It is unprofessional and embarrassing to see. I understand he's out with COVID right now. It wasn't his fault. He wasn't on the field against Minnesota. But the effort we saw prior to that was not good. And that that is frustrating when you needed Allen Robinson. You needed him this year, and he failed the entire organization. But, but I bring up Robinson and Graham because you've got to assume both those guys are gone next year. So who's that guy on the roster who can, you know, who can just go up there and get a football in the end zone and get you six points? Darnell Mooney is not that type of guy. Cole Komet is not that type of athlete. The Bears really don't have that guy in the roster. The best guy might be Jesper Horstead based on what we saw in the last play of the game yesterday. That's not the situation they want to be in as an offense next year is having more problems, right, on the offense and in the red zone. But that's definitely the way that's that's trending. So we look at this offense, and with Justin Fields, there's absolutely improvement. And I understand Kevin Seifert in that article, um, you know, did not paint things well with Justin Fields. And look, there are things you can point out about Justin Fields. I think... Most Bears fans, even, you know, the ones that work, you know, for Windy City Gridiron, some of the other blogs and podcasts and whatnot, I think if you talk to them honestly, they may not want to admit it to, on their podcast or an article saying, I thought Fields would be better than he's been this year. I think most of them expected Fields to be better. As a, I'm not saying they expected Fields to come in like Justin Herbert or Russell Wilson or Ben Roethlisberger or some of these other rookies that, you know, played really well their first year in the league. But I, I would think, like, if you asked most people, all right, if Justin Fields plays most of the season, you know, what are his basic numbers going to look at? And I would assume they will, everyone would have expected, you know, about 3,000, you know, yards, 3,000 plus yards you know, 20 touchdowns there about maybe, you know, you know, 10, 12, 14 interceptions, something like that. Like, I think most Bears fans would have said that's kind of what you would expect from Justin Fields. And he's not going to get there. He's got no chance at 3000 yards. He's certainly got no chance at 20 touchdowns. He's probably going to throw more interceptions and touchdowns this season. And look, that's OK, because Fields is progressing and Fields was really bad early on, and that's kind of put his overall numbers, you know, behind the eight ball, so to speak. But, you know, Fields is progressing. And, you know, I sent out some numbers on Twitter at ZimmermanSXM that show you those progression. His yards per attempt steadily going up month after month. Yards per game steadily going up month after month. Passer rating, I know it's flawed, steadily going up month after month. Even was able to have some help from someone to figure out QBR, which, of course, Kevin Seifert uh, crushed Justin Fields about about how poor his QBR is and what that means for his future. But his QBR has gone up month after month after month. And in fact, the, his uh, his three games in, in November, if you count the 49ers game, those three games, uh, the 49ers, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore, which admittedly Baltimore, he did not play well. His QBR was right around 47, which was just a touch below Dak Prescott. So, so that gives you an idea that 47, you know, if you get your QBR around 50, that, that means you're, you're pretty good, and that's where Fields has been just a little shy of. 
you look at a lot of these numbers over the last four or five games of what Justin Fields has done and kind of compare that, the touchdowns aren't there. Touchdown's definitely a problem. That's partially on Fields, partially on Nagy, partially on the offense as a whole. But the touchdowns aren't there. But a lot of the other things are coming together for Fields. He's figuring things out. He just looks more in control, making smarter decisions, quicker decisions. The the improvement is there for Fields. Now, again, I'm not saying where he is right now is good. I would still say what the number type of numbers he's putting up would be below average, maybe, you know, around the 20th quarterback in the league. But, I mean, he was basically the 32nd quarterback in the league at the beginning of the season. So there's progression there. Maybe Fields can look average by the end of the season you know we'll see if he can keep progressing here these last few games so I think most Bears fans expected more out of Justin Fields but also willing to give him a pass because he is a rookie he had things to learn and this is not a good situation you know inexperienced and up and down offensive line a coaching staff that we understand is on its way out and did not put him in the best position to succeed still questionable play calls that we're seeing you know still to this point about you know the best decisions to make with Justin Fields on the field. So look, there's plenty of things that have been going against him, but at the same time, I still think a lot of Bears fans expected him to be better than he's been. I, I'm not concerned that he's going to be some sort of bust. I still think he's going to be quarterbacking the Chicago Bears for quite a while. I still think he has an opportunity to become a top five, seven quarterback in the lead if he continues to iron out these basic mistakes that he's still making, fumbling, too much taking bad losses on sacks i mean sometimes look sometimes the athleticism to get out of a sack is enough to say i didn't lose eight yards get out of the pocket and throw the ball away that's enough that gives you another day and i understand sometimes he'll you know flip back 10 further yards and no one will be able to catch him he'll be able to roll out and he can fire the ball 40 yards down the field and make a huge play that's what Justin Fields can do. And sometimes he's got to get a better idea of what's happening in the backfield and if he can get away and make that kind of play. He still hasn't quite figured out what he can and can't do against defenses, so he's taking some big losses. And sometimes he just needs to avoid that sack and just take the incomplete pass and live to fight it, you know, instead of, you know, you know, it's second and 10 becoming third and 24 at second and 10 becomes third and 10 and third and 10. While it's not easy, third and 10 is at least convertible. Third and 24 isn't. Those are the kind of things that Justin Fields needs to learn. And he's getting better. You know, his sack percentage in September was 24 percent. It's absurd. 10 percent is horrible. He's at 24 percent. But now the last couple games, we're seeing a sack percentage back down in single digits. It's not great, but it's much better. So we're continuing to see improvement from fields. That's all this season has been about. If you've been listening to this podcast all season, I've been preaching this since August. I don't care about wins and losses. I said this, I thought this Bears team was going to be 7 and 10. They're not getting there. They're probably looking at 5 and 12 at this point, 6 and 11, absolute best case scenario. I think they'll probably win one more game here, but... This team was not going anywhere in August. I think it was pretty clear. This season was about Justin Fields and improving. And I think none of us expected Justin Fields to start where he was. But if you look at the full body over the season, he is improving. And there are certain stats that you look at that the the, the stat hounds really focus on. Uh, the big time throw percentage where he is top five in the NFL. Forget rookies. Forget rookies. I'm not talking about that. Top five in the NFL. This guy makes more big time throws, you know, in a percentage per pass attempt than pretty much any quarterback in the league. That's great to see. That shows you he's got the elite arm talent that everyone knows. We know he's got the elite athleticism. He's just got to put everything else together. He has the ability. He just has to do it. And I know Bears fans are frustrated. But this is an opportunity now. We saw Fields grow. And where he is now is a good jumping off point for next season. They've got the opportunity to jump off next season. I'm not saying this Bears team next season is going to be a Super Bowl contender. But in terms of Fields' development, we have an opportunity to see him be next season potentially a top you know, 10, 12, 15 quarterback. That, that top half of the league we could see Fields consistently getting there. And if he's there in year two, he can absolutely make that jump into a top 10 quarterback, if not more so, in year three. 
that's where we're at with Justin Fields. So there's still hope. I know some people are trending with more and more concerns. But again, when I look at the big body here from the start of the year to the beginning of the year, I see a lot of positives. I just think those positives were coming, you know, much further behind than we expected. We'll see what happens here these next three games. But again, it's still a holding pattern. What's happening with Matt Nagy? What's happening with Ryan Pace? And most importantly, when? So we can start looking forward to 2020 Dukes. Right now, all we're doing is finishing a dismal 2021. All right. I'm going to get to my guest here, Randy Merkin, the operations director of ESPN 1000. He wrote a book, Behind the Glass, stories from a sports radio producer. I worked with Randy for a long time back in the day. We'll share some memories, talk some Chicago sports, all that with Randy Merkin next. I think you'll enjoy this interview. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman will be right back. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. This is, this is going to be a fun one for me. Uh, never thought, you know, about 15 uh, years ago that this would be an interview I would be doing. Uh, but we've, we're being joined now by the operations director of ESPN 1000 Chicago. He is Randy Merkin, a longtime sports radio producer. He has written a book, Behind the Glass, Stories from a Sports Radio Producer. Uh, so we're going to get into the book with Randy. And, you know, to be honest, when I was first getting going in the radio industry, Randy was my first lead producer when I was an assistant producer. And he was kind of a mentor to me and, and really got me going into this business and has kept me in this business because of that. So for those of you who listen to this podcast and just wish that this blowhard would shut up, you can blame Randy Merkin for the reason why this <laughs> podcast exists. And he joins us now. Randy, how you doing? <laughs> Jim, I'm good. Uh, you know how they say when the, the pupil outperforms the teacher. Well, that's the, that's the case with, with you, buddy. Congratulations on uh, all your success uh, at Sirius, and this podcast is great. Um, I mean, you and I were, were in the trenches when uh, back in the day. I mean, it was before, I think was it, it was before like cell phones were a thing. And, I mean, we had so much fun doing that show with uh, Bob Berger and Bruce Murray. You couldn't ask for two better hosts to work with. And, you know, it was, it was just, I mean, people like you produced a show that was eight hours long. I'm like, yeah. And it was easy, you know? And then like the college football show, I think was seven hours long. Yep. Um, but no, you know, like, it's funny because I learned a ton, uh, so much at one-on-one sports and sporting news radio. Like I definitely would not be half the producer or, you know, operations director, or what I'm in my role in management today. If I, if I didn't, go through the grind of that 12 year run with all the great talented people we had at one-on-one sports sporting news radio. And, you know, like we, we, we worked with so many different personalities at that place. Um, some better than others, but like, uh, you know, like the, my sweet spot was, was that time with, uh, with Bob and Bruce, you, and, you know, then Stelton took over after uh, Bruce left to go to that, Marie in the morning. Um, <laughs> but no, that was, that was a great time. I, I love, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, no, that was great. And yeah, Randy and I produced shows together. Randy, Randy was the lead and, and uh, you know, I was the, the, the board op engineer system yep. producer Saturdays and Sundays. And yeah, we produced, and this is early two thousands, uh, you know, it was called around the NFL and it was a, a <laughs> show where you are going to every game and you got to keep on tap of everything. It was fast paced. It was exciting. And I'll bring that up almost. And, and I know this isn't in the book, but, you know, we were in studio every Sunday for that Dick Duran 13 and three Jim Miller led bears team that just had, you know, the Mike Brown, you know, the miracle touchdowns and overtime. And that just like season where the ball bounced their way seemingly every time I distinctly still remember the Cleveland Browns game when James Allen caught that touchdown from Shane Matthews in the end zone, the hail Mary. And just both of us just like jumping up and down, getting yes. all excited and, and like somehow still trying to keep the show on the air. That's where it's fun, where you really just sit there and your fandom was, just like outperforms the professionalism. Uh, I, I think it was uh, back to back weeks that uh, right. Wasn't it? Yeah. The, Browns, the Browns and the Niners. Yep. Niners. Yeah. Uh, those were absolute blasts. And like, I, we didn't care at that moment what was going on at the show because like, 
that team was like the cardiac kids, you know, ended poorly for them. I think they lost to the Eagles, right? That yep, year? Lost, lost to the Eagles. Same day that Michael came back, right? Yes. That was Wizards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was, um, it was yeah. Michael's yeah, that, United Center, return to the United Center, and Hugh Douglas knocked out uh, Jim Miller in like the second right. quarter. And then right. the Eagles just destroyed them the second. Yeah. Quarter. Yeah. But like, the, you know, like we're, we're still fans, right? So obviously, you know, we're, we have a, you know, allegiance to teams. And like, I remember there was a, College football, my, you know, I went to Wisconsin and there was a uh, game against Minnesota. And I think Stelton was hosting because he thought that was, he got the biggest kick out of it. And I don't know if you were on the show at that point or not, but Paul, Paul, Paul Bunyan's axe and Wisconsin blocked a punt, returned it for a touchdown in the game, basically the final play of the game. And I sprinted down the hallway back and forth like five times screaming. <laughs> and Stelton was like doubled over laughing so hard because he, he couldn't believe someone would get that excited about a, I mean, both teams weren't very good at the time, but I just was so excited to see them win that game. But uh, yeah, we, we had some fun moments, definitely uh, doing that show. Yeah. And there was, you know, uh, you know, that was the sporting news radio was based in Northbrook at the time. So, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, sports radio personalities that a lot of, you know, you know, Chicago area people, you know, Matt, Matt Spiegel was, was a part of those, yep. uh, that team Chet Kopic rest in peace. Yep. Yeah, uh, was was a part of those shows, and uh, you know Jim Memolo, and you know, there's a lot of you right. know, Chicago guys that was ties to Chicago that were, right. were there, and it was just it was a fun time, and you know I learned a lot from you. I learned a lot because that was really my first you know full time job in the radio business. But I, I want to bring up some of the stuff that I remember, you know, things that you used to do, and and I still remember one day where I'm sitting there, and you know you you picked up the phone and you dialed and. Uh, you know, all of a sudden I hear you go, Ernie. And, uh, you know, and you, you sat there, you called Ernie Banks and you talked to him for, I don't know, 10 minutes, maybe. I, I don't know what it was. It was, it was a while just going back and forth. Ernie's asking about the family and everything. Yeah. And you hung up and I'm like, you're just talking to Ernie Banks. And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, is he coming on the show? And you're like, no, I just, I just wanted to give Ernie a call. Yeah. So like, you know, Ernie Banks is one of those guys was just a, a unique personality. He, he was. And it, funny, you should say that because, uh, it's, there is a story about Ernie Banks in the book um, where uh, I booked him to come in studio and he's supposed to come in at 11 and with Waddle and Sylvie. And I, he calls the studio like at 9.15 and he's like, Randy, where's your address? And I'm like, uh, 190 North State Street. Oh, what's up, Ernie? He goes, I'm on my way in. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't have to be here till like 10.45. He's like, I'll come in early. I want to hang out. And I'm like, oh, boy. And he was like five minutes from the station. So he gets there like by nine 30 and I'm like, Ernie, you know, you're not on till 11. He's like, that's all right. So he's sitting in the studio with me, just talking my ear off for an hour and a half. I finally bring him in with Waddle and Sylvie. He's asking them some crazy questions, how he always does about their family and about stuff, probably inappropriate stuff, but that's Ernie. So he does 30 <laughs> minutes of the guys. He's actually, he's actually really good. Um, it's done. So I walk him out front door you know and i'm like ernie thanks for coming in we'll do it again for sure again all right and then like 30 minutes later i'm going to the bathroom and i look in my general manager's office and there's ernie sitting in my general manager's office and i walk in i'm like ernie what are you still doing here man i walked you out 30 minutes ago and he's like i want that sign and there was a budweiser sign flashing budweiser sign and my john cravens you used to work you i don't know if you were at, when he was we had the chicago station he was the gm in the chicago station He's the GM and he is a diehard Cub fan. So he's loving this, having Ernie in his office. But he's like, Ernie, this was given to me by the people at Budweiser. I can't give you this sign because they'll get upset if they come in and don't see it. What what, what do you want for? What do you want? You want a couple signed baseballs? I need that sign. So then I'm like, Ernie, come on. You got it. He's got the stuff to do. Let's go. Come on. So I'm walking him out and he's like, can I come back next week? And I'm like, I, I don't know about that. I'm like, but if you can guarantee me that you, you'll, you'll book both Willie Mays and Hank Aaron to come out with you. You can come back next week. And he goes, I got their numbers. I'll call them up today. I'm like, all right, you do that. I never heard from him again, so it was fine. But he, <laughs> he was a special guy. He really was. Really good guy. Yeah, er, yeah. He, he was a lot of fun. I was able to get him on a couple times at, at Sirius. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was always an adventure, but it was always yeah. a fun adventure. Yes, exactly. Um, but, um, you know, moving on, and, and, and I don't know if you know this story, and, and, and I'll share this story, um, because the, the, there's an element of, of sports radio producing. It doesn't really exist anymore, uh, but, you know, even as recently as 10 years ago, it did, and, and that was hotel hits. Um, yes. You know, it's a lot more difficult now, but, you know, it used to be that people were just 
un, you know, listed under their regular names, especially in places like, you know, the, the pro bowl and, you know, visiting teams for, for football. So, and I know that was, that was where you, uh, you know, you, uh, made, made your, made your money, so to speak is, is on right. a lot of those hotel hits. You had a lot of right. success. So I was producing the show at Sirius. This was a Bruce Murray and, uh-huh. uh, and Mike Yam now oh, yeah. know, Pac 12 NFL network. Uh, yeah. and they were doing a show together. And I was hotel hitting at the Pro Bowl. So this is about 2008, I would say, probably the 2008 Pro Bowl. And Tony Romo's in the Pro Bowl that year. So I'm, uh, I'm tr- you know, trying to get Tony Romo on. And I call the hotel room and a, a woman answers the phone. And the voice is familiar. And I think for a second and I go, Jessica? And she goes, yes. And it's Jessica Simpson. Whoa. And I'm sitting there going, all right, I don't care about Tony Romo anymore. Right. Have to get Jessica Simpson on. Mike Yam is a huge fan. He's freaking right. out, just looking at me. He's like, get her on, get her on. And I must have tried for two or three minutes, tried every angle, basically right. begged her to come on. She would not come on. I could right. not get her to do it. And I remember I was just sitting there thinking, I'm like, if Randy Merkin had this phone right now, he would figure out the way to get her on. <laughs> I, I never could do it. You know, but the, you can, you know, Pretty much a good guest booker knows right away if you get a shot or not. Like, you know, and, and you know how many times you try, you like, you can, you can finagle it any way you want, but like, it's, it's, it's impossible. Like once they say no, you know, it's, it's, you can't like, there's only so many angles you can go at it to get them on. Um, like I tried that with Jordan, you know, I had him on the phone. The only time I've ever talked to him, like for three minutes, just wouldn't do it, you know? So, but uh, did you try, did you call Romo back and try to get him or no? Yeah, I, I tried Romo back and, you know, she said, you know, call me back in five minutes and I'll do it. And I knew I yeah. was doomed, oh. but I, I, I tried back. A different woman answered the phone. It wasn't her. I don't know if it was a friend or a relative right. just said, oh, this is the housekeeper. She she left. So oh, okay. that's that's what I got. But, yeah, we know I had some success getting some guys on. Uh, there is a very famous quarterback. Uh, I won't uh, I won't out him, but I talked to him and all he did is go, sure. And I was like, I was super excited. And all he did was put the phone down on the nightstand and I could just hear him watching television. And he just left his phone off the hook the rest of the night. But uh, I, I won't out him by name. I didn't appreciate okay. that one too much. But, you know, okay. that's, that's such as the business. But yeah. I brought up the Jessica Simpson story because one of the most impressive things I ever saw you do as a producer is when Terrell Owens was a huge deal in, yeah. in the NFL. And, you know, he got moved to, you know, and I don't even know if a lot of people remember this because they think of him as, you know, the 49ers. And then they think of him going over to the Eagles and then bouncing around a little bit at the end of his career. But, you know, the Baltimore Ravens and, and there was this, you know, it, it was a really kind of bizarre situation with him. And you managed to get him on the phone. And, you know, it's, you know, and I remember I was sitting next to you and it seemed like he was coming after you pretty hard for, for calling him directly. And you managed to calm him down and get him on the air. And that, I think, was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen you do. I appreciate that, Zim. Uh, actually, the funny thing was is that how I even got his numbers, we, if you remember, we had our uh, senior NFL writer on before that who had just spent a week with him. And I said, you happen to have his, uh, like his number? And he was, I had his cell phone, but it was, he just wasn't answering. And he's like, I got his home number if you wanted. So I'm like, sure. So I called him up. And some other guy answered and asked me how I got the number. And I said, you know, I just had it. And he's like, hold on. And T.O. picks up the phone is like, how? and he's screaming at me, how the blank did you get this number? And I'm like, T.O., I just had it. And he's going after me, yelling at me. Don't blink and call me at home. Don't blink and call me at home. I'm like, T.O., people want to hear your story, man. Come on, just come on. And he was like, all right, put me on. And then I, I hadn't even told Stelton. It was Stelton and Doug Russell were hosting and I hadn't told either of them that I was going after T.O. because I didn't think there was an, uh, a legitimate chance to get him on. And I just remember typing on the screen, go to Terrell Owens right now. And they both kind of looked at me like, what? And they did. And it was like, it was great. It was like, he, he, he did, you know, he, once he got on the air, he was awesome. It was like 13 minutes and he poured his heart out, you know, and said why he didn't want to play for Baltimore and why he's misunderstood. And it, yeah, it ended up being great. Thanks. That was, that was, that's in the book behind the glass, the book.com that, that's in there. And, uh, that was a fun story because like, you're right. Like those are the stories that set you apart, right? Like that, you know, because you're going to be nervous calling and you know, you're going to probably, you're going to take it a little bit before you try to get the guy on. But like, you know, at the end of the day, Zim, like he's, 
he's it's, you're on the phone like what so he screams at you big big deal you know what i mean <laughs> the words that happens he and you we've all had guests we know when the guests have hung up on you right like and told you to go you know oh sure you know, so okay you hang up you're like, all right you know like someone i think mark jenska i don't know if you ever worked with mark told me uh, yeah. i bit. learned i learned a ton from him and he told me if you're not pissing them off you're not doing your job right so and i, I never intentionally piss someone off but like you know, like you, we're both aggressive guys, right? Well, you know, we want to get, we want to get the big, always get the story. So, uh, but that one, I love that one. That was, that was a, that was a cool story. And, uh, you know, we, I think I had him on a couple other times after that, but, uh, that was by far the, the greatest time with Tio putting him on. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, wanted to kind of pivot to a couple, you know, I know we talked about Ernie Banks, but you know, a couple yeah. other, kind of, you know, Chicago, you know, icons and big Chicago athletes being, we got a lot of bears fans listening to this podcast. And I know you, you're, you're a big Cubs fan. Um, and I know there were certain guys that you always enjoyed, you know, the chase and trying to, you know, track down and inter- interact with. And I know Ryan Sandberg was one of those guys. Are there any Ryan Sandberg stories in the book? There's a couple Ryan Sandberg stories in the book. There's the one where, where he was really one of the Cubs job. Okay. And like for some reason, like I always, I had, I built a pretty decent relationship with him, which was pretty cool because he's my favorite baseball player. It's the reason why my son wears 23 is because, uh, it's because of uh, when he, he plays baseball now is because of Rhino uh, and Jordan. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so he, when the whole process was going on where he was getting interviewed for the Cubs job, uh, he just, he wouldn't talk to anyone, but our show. I mean, like, you know, I, I would call him up and he would never answer but then he would see my number and call me back and say, Hey, do you need me? And like, when he didn't get the job, like we were the ones that he called me and said, Hey, I'll come on. And, and, you know, we had, we were the only ones to get him to talk about why he didn't get the job. Um, so there's that story. Then we did a, sh- during the year, the Cubs won the world series, 2016, we did a promotion with Rhino where you, we, we were hoping it was going to be the day they clinched the division. It was in St. Louis. It was called sit with Sandberg where we registered and we sent 20 fans to St. Louis to Bush stadium to sit in a suite with Rhino and his wife. And like, I showed up late to that. And it was like, I was a little kid. I went right up to him and I was like, Hey, I set this whole thing up. And he was like, Oh, great. You know, it was great experience. And then I just sat there like, you know, starry eyed. And he told me all about why the Phillies job ended up being so awful. And how there was a bunch of vets who really didn't want to play anymore. Just wanted to cash checks at that point. So it wasn't great. Uh, the, the most memorable Rhino story was, see, I, Zim, you know me, like I'm always big on taking just a good interview and making it great because anyone can put Rhino on, right? But I'm, I'm always big on taking it to the next level. So I was like, on the anniversary of the Sandburn game, which Waddle gives me crap about every year because he thinks it's the dumbest anniversary. My, <laughs> one of my, it's probably my second favorite game of all time outside the Cup winning the World Series. Um, but I'm like, let's do... I don't know what anniversary it was, but let's do Rhino and Bruce Suter on together. That'd be great. And so Ryan, of course, was all in. And I couldn't get a number on Bruce Suter. And this is how crazy sometimes you get lucky. Someone from the network emails me and says, hey, Bruce Suter is doing right now a promotion for something. You interested? And I'm like, are you kidding me? So it actually, he was doing it on a different day. But I emailed the person who was handling him. I said, listen. We're doing this thing with Rhino. I have him tomorrow at this time. Can Bruce join? And, and she got back to me right away and said, Bruce loves the idea. He'll do it. So we had those two on together like for 15 minutes. It was great back and forth about the game and how Suter couldn't believe that Rhino took him deep twice. And then we're like, hey, Ryan, can you stick around? we got some Cubs topics to talk about. And that was right when Sammy, something had gone on with Sammy and steroids. And I said to Waddle and Sylvia, like, you know, I used to do, and you probably do this too, before a big interview, I would sit down with both of them, either write a bunch of questions out, or I would say, Hey, here are the questions we got to hit with. Yeah, Ryan. Here's the and two said, or three ones we, we right. cannot not ask. I said, I think he'll Ryan is in his speech, his hall of fame speech. He went about how doing it the right way, you know, right. Like, you know, no cheating. So I said, I think if we set him up, he'll go after Sammy. And I think Sylvie just set it up nice and easy saying, is, is Sammy a hall of famer? And without hesitation, he was like, Nope. He didn't do it the right way, you know, and I'm just like, oh, gosh. And he went on like for three minutes saying how disappointed he was that, you know, Sammy could have done it the right way and and a uh, bad role model. And, you know, back in the days, Zim, 
there were still papers, newspapers. It wasn't as much, a, you know, an internet medium, sure. as, you know. So I, I'm having my interns, when they were interns, I'm having them transcribe that quote. I send the audio out to all the Chicago stations, and then I send it to the newspapers. The next day, the back page of the Sun-Times is a huge picture of Rhino, and it says, Rhino said, you know, some catchy headline, Rhino says no for Sammy for Hall or something like that. And it just, I mean, it went viral like for two or three days. It was everywhere. Um, so yeah, those are my Rhino stories. He came in the studio a bunch of times. It was always great. Um, my, I mean, it was so cool. Like you're thinking, everyone's why I'm thinking to myself, this is my favorite player growing up. Like the reason why I always wanted to play second base when I was in Little League was because of Rhino. And now the guy is, you know, sitting here hanging out with me for, for a show. So it was great. It was, we did a lunch with a legend with him as well. Um, you know, which was a show we, we did at Morton's where we would take, you know, pick an, uh, a, like a celebrity, you know, a star player and do an hour with him. And he did that as well. So I've, I've had a ton of experience with Rhino. Great guy. I love Rhino. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the danger and, you know, there's pluses and minuses of, of this job because yeah, you grow up as a sports fan, as a kid, and you end up, you know, idolizing certain players. You're a big Ryan Sandberg fine. Right. You know, pretty much all of us that are around this age are huge Jordan guys and everything. And, but, but there's people along the way where, you know, you, you just love this person and you find out when you, you know, you meet them in person, not the person you kind of hope, hope you were meeting. And you're like, wow, that kind of spoiled a lot of those childhood memories when it's not the person, but when it's on the opposite side and you meet someone like Ryan Sandberg, who's accommodating and kind, and it just, it, it brings your fandom to, to the next level. And, you know, when I was once, you know, you, you moved into management at Sporting News Radio and I became the lead producer of that weekend show. And it was Stelton and Berger, it was Bob and Bob. And I remember it was All-Star Game weekend and Stelton said, I have to talk to Greg Popovich. Like at that time, he was like, I need to talk to Greg Popovich. You got to get him on. And, you know, found Popovich's hotel room. He was listed under, under his own name. And, um, you know, I called that room constantly. And I must have spoken to his wife uh, you know, rest, rest in peace. Um, but I must've spoken to his wife like four or five times. Wow. And I was always kind to her and very polite to her and, and, and said everything. And, you know, like the, the fifth time, fourth or fifth time I talked to her, she goes, I prom, she goes, how, when are you off the air? And I was like, you know, whatever, you know, it was like 7 PM Eastern, whatever. Right. It was. And she goes, I promise he's going to call. And I was like, all right, she wants me to, you know, she, she doesn't want me to bother her anymore. Right. I understand. Right. I've tried, you know, she's like, yeah, right. pro- that's, that's kind of the code for leave me alone. We'll call you. Right. And, um, and sure enough, you know, maybe like an hour and a half, two hours later, maybe about 45 minutes before we went off the air, the, the studio phone rings and I answer it and it's Greg Popovich. And he says, hi, this is Greg Popovich for the interview. My boss told me I should call this number. <laughs> and, he, and he went, you know, and, and everyone knows how Popovich is with the media, but he went on yeah. on that day, gave, gave a great interview, great answers. And, and that's one of those that just kind of, kind of sticks out, you know, when you're, you know, so that's one of those things when people talk about oh, Popovich, he's an ass, he's a jerk, all that kind of stuff, right. which it was always in good fun. I think with Craig Sager and some of the stuff he'd do, yeah. but that's one, you know, like, yeah, I'm like, I don't care. He was great to me. His wife was great to me. That's a guy I always cheer for. You no. Know, and you, you, you cracked the codes in because if you are if you get in with the wife, <laughs> I'm serious. You like, I, I got in with, uh, with Jack Nicholas's wife, Barbara. And, you know, I called the hotel like all weekend long. The first time I was trying to book him at a senior event and she kept saying, Oh, I feel so bad. You missed him. You missed him. You missed him. She's like, I'll take your number down. We're going to, you know, we're heading to the airport to go to the, you know, to the open championship. And then sure enough, he called me, you know, and he's like, my wife said I should call this very nice young man. So like, <laughs> I'm telling you, that's a key. Like, if you always be polite, there's no reason not to be nice. Right. So, uh, because they, they will, they will help you out. They will be in your, in your, uh, in your corner to try to help the interview get booked. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and this book, I think if you're, if you're a sports fan, you know, and you, you listen to ESPN 1000 or even, you know, the, the competitor over there in, in Chicago, uh, you know, I, th- I think you'll enjoy it. Cause there's a lot that just kind of, you, you see how these guys get on the air and, how much effort sometimes it takes for nine minutes of radio or, or 15 right. minutes of radio. And I think it's just, it's fun and it gives people a, a unique perspective. So where, where can they find the book? Uh, all right. So right now, the only way to get it is outside of, if you come to a book signing is uh, behind the glass, the book.com behind the glass, the book.com. 
Um, if you want one autographed, uh, send me an email. I got Randy Merkin at yahoo.com and I will, I will mail it out myself, but you still have to order it behind the glass, the book.com. And then I'll take care of it the rest of the way there. Uh, but, there uh, you yeah. go. That, that, that's one heck of an offer. All right. Now, before yeah. I let you go, yeah. bears podcast, got to talk some bears with you, sure. especially, you know, ESPN 1000. I mean, you're, you're listening to the, the bears fans calling in on yeah. a day-to-day basis, yeah. but let me ask you this. Let, let's start here. How do you think the Bears fan as a whole was in August going into the season at, compared to where they are now? Obviously, there's disappointment right now, but do you think a lot of Bears fans were expecting this or was there a lot of hope at the beginning of the year? No, there wasn't a lot of hope. No, I, I think most Bears fans, I don't think they expected four and 10, but, uh, you know, four and 10 and ugly four and 10, like last night was embarrassing. Um, but I think they knew this team wasn't competing, you know, for a playoff spot. Um, you know, it's been, it's been bad this year. I think this, I'm, I think this is, I mean, clearly it's been the, the worst year, but it's just like, it's never gotten better. Like, you know, they just, I mean, it's just been bad all year. Like it's been ugly and, and, you know, it's like, I, I don't know if you read the Kevin Seifert piece in uh, I did. that, that was very alarming. And then I was texting with like Carmen and a couple other guys last night, like on cue, he fumbled twice, you know, Justin Fields. And I'm just like, oh boy, you know, like that's the one, the one saving grace all years in was at least we got our quarterback, you know, at least we got Justin Fields who was going to be lead us for the next 10 years. And I'm seeing some things that I don't like, and I know it's his rookie year and, you know, you give a guy two or three years, but you know, he's, he, like, he does some things that like, I don't care rookie or not, like, you know, you should know better than, taking a 15 yard second, a screen pass, you know I mean? Like this dirt it, you know, last night, I don't know what he was doing, but to answer your initial question, everyone was not optimistic going into this year. People did not, people were are so down on this whole, this whole, you know, trio of Phillips, uh, Pace and Nagy that they just wanted nothing to do with it. And, you know, they're getting what they want. I think, I don't know what week it's going to come down, but, uh, Clearly, I think at least I mean Nagy's gone for sure, probably, and then who knows if Pace will stick around or not. I don't know. It's it's a mess. Yeah, I, I think no one really knows what to think of Ryan Pace because I think Bears fans who who pay attention know how much George McCaskey likes Ryan Pace. Right. You know, he's he's got to fire his friend basically, and that's, right. that's not easy to do. So you hear about you know reassigning and, and all this stuff. And, you know, I had Brad Biggs on and he's just like, I mean, he goes, look, is it, you know, is that something I could consider him doing? Absolutely. But I mean, he's like, you're basically saying this is a guy who wasn't good enough as your general manager. So you're going to promote him. He goes, it just doesn't right. make any sense. Seinfeld. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. But it, it's, it's one of those things where you're like that, but that's what this bears organization would do. You know, they just, you know, can't seem to find their footing. And, and I think you know, with, with, with where they are right now, and there's some rumblings that maybe Ted Phillips is going to retire or kind of, you know, reassign himself or whatever. They've got an opportunity to really restructure the front office. And I know head coach is what gets all the, all the headlines and everything about who they're going to replace Nagy with. But, you know, there's, there's some smart football guys out there. I, I bring up Rick Smith a lot, the old Texans GM, yep. who's been out of yep. football a couple of years for some personal reasons. Right. And he's apparently looking to get back in. I mean, there's a chance to really restructure the football operations with maybe a president of football ops and a general manager and kind of have them work in tandem and, and at least hold the football operations accountable because that's not something Ted Phillips can really do. I think George McCaskey might consider something like that, but at the same time, I just never trust the McCaskies to do the, the prudent thing. Right. No, I mean, you know, I've, I've met George like three times. He's, he's oddly nice if that's, it's, you know, he's very humble like um, he's just a different guy. Like we did a 20 year anniversary show for the station and I invited like a lot of the owners, you know, and Rocky words shows up and super nice guy. And like Rocky, we got a VIP area upstairs. You want a drink? Absolutely. So Rocky goes up, he's having a drink, you know, with hanging out with everyone. And I look to my right and there is, you know, George is supposed to come too. And there's George wearing his bears, like starter jacket, just standing in the crowd, listening to Waddle and Sylvie, just like, and I'm like, Mr. McCaskey. And he's like, it's George. And I'm like, you know, you want to come upstairs? The, you know, the Rocky's up there, VIP. He's like, I'm fine here. And like, he's just like a, he's just a normal guy, but like, you know, you're right. He's got some big decisions to make. And, you know, I, I mean, like 
the Bulls did it. They restructured everything, and now they're really good. So I think I think it could be done, Zim. But uh, you know, and I I mean, you got to restructure thing, and and you got to kind of you know clean house with the roster too. I mean, you know, I don't think you're going to bring Allen Robinson back. Um, you know, you you basically have to start. I mean, who knows if Cole Komet can actually play? I mean, he's he hasn't been too impressive so far. But um, yeah, this this team is probably like a two or three year makeover before like legitimately title contenders, in my opinion, like I know it can turn around quickly in the NFL, but like they have so many holes they're going to have next year. Um, it's going to be tough for them to be a good football team next year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, even if you just look back to Emory to pace pace only kept five guys right on the team that, that were on Emory that were on that 2018 yep. perform well. And two of them were special teamers in McManus and O'Donnell. It okay. was Charles Leno, Kyle Long, and Kyle Fuller. That's it. He wow. brought in a whole new roster. And I think the next guy, I look, I know there's certain Bears players that, you know, uh, you know, Bears fans really, really love and, 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 and connect with. But I, you know, I don't know if it's going to be five, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if two or three years, if Justin Fields is, is, is the guy and this is a, a playoff contending team. I don't think we're going to see a lot of these faces, you know, maybe, you know, more than five, probably, but less than right. 10, I, I would think you're still looking at, you know, eight, nine guys at most that are going to stick around off this yeah. roster with the new GMs calling the shots. Yeah, I would agree. I, I'm just very curious to see who they're going to bring in as the head coach, because, you know, they went with the offensive genius didn't work. So are you going to bring in a guy who has coaching experience? Are you going to bring in the flavor of the month? One of these coordinators who, you know, the, the guy from Buffalo, uh, are you going to bring in, you know, one of the coordinators from Tampa, um, who everyone seems to love Leftwich or Todd Bowles. I mean, you know, who, what, what angle are you going to go with? Or are you going to, I mean, you can't go college, right? I mean, th there's no way you could bring someone from college. I mean, so. is, is, is Jim Harbaugh always floating around as a possibility? He is, but like, say for instance, he wins the next two games. Like, why would he leave? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, like he seems to love it there, you know? Um, I just, I mean, listen, and people are saying, oh, he's not a good coach. He's won everywhere he's gone. Now he hasn't won the success people wanted to win in Michigan. I agree with that. Like, you know, and I, I will argue that like a couple of them aren't his fault. Like the botched punt against Michigan state. I mean, I mean, that's one in a million. And then there's a, there was a crazy game against Ohio state where JT Barrett was short of the first down and they gave that's him the right. first down yardage and they won that game. Like that, that, they think they go to the playoff that year if, if they win that game. So, um, listen, I'll give Jim Harbaugh credit because it wasn't working, right? And he, he redefined himself, took a pay cut, uh, got rid of some old, stodgy coordinators. And I think this is finally the team he envisioned when he took over at Michigan, a team that dominates the line of scrimmage, dominates the line of scrimmage. I mean, they ran the ball down Ohio State's throat. Ohio State had no answer for Michigan. It's usually the other way around. You're like, Ohio State with these slant patterns. Michigan can't cover them. They're done. I mean, I was I, – I couldn't watch the game, but I was listening to the game. And, I mean, the entire, it was the same play every time, like seven or eight chunk yards every play for Michigan running the ball. And defensively, they got those two guys on the outside that just, just caused havoc. So and, – and Harbaugh can be a little creative. So uh, – um, he was great in San Francisco for three years. He has a shelf life, right? I mean, where people just get tired of him. But I don't think he's going to come to him. I, I just think he's he's happy in Michigan. He doesn't need the headache of being the Bears head coach. I know he loves Chicago. He loves Ditka. Um, but I I just don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to – I wouldn't mind seeing a young coordinator. Or, I don't know. I don't know. what. There's no good guy, right? There's no, like, slam dunk. And don't don't get Eric B. out of me just because I can't have another Andy Reid assistant come in here and, and fail. So – I just need someone different. I, I, everyone loves Leftwich, but I don't know what he does with how much Brady does and how much he does, but Brady swears by him. So if Tom Brady endorses him, I guess that's a good thing. Another guy everyone seems to really like him is uh, McDaniels. They're saying like he had his chance. He screwed up in Denver. And now this could be another great opportunity with a good young quarterback. So we'll see. And, and yeah, I think, I think McDaniels is a good offensive mind and could be good. I don't trust after what he did in Indianapolis, I don't trust him. I've got concerns you know, yeah. with, with McDaniels there, Yeah. but yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't know. There's not a head coach I'm clamoring for. I wouldn't be against Todd Bowles if they bring in the right offensive guy to work with fields, you know, Kellen Moore has done some good things in Dallas. I think that's intriguing. 
but yeah, I just, there's not a guy where I'm sitting there going, this is the perfect guy. You know, Greg Roman's always, his name's always bouncing around. Right. But yeah, there's, there's not, which is why I'm more focused on the front office because if you've got, I want guys who know more about football than me making, making the right decisions because you know, like, like you said, you don't want another read guy. And I agree with that. And, and like left, which I know Brady loves him. Arians loves him. Arian says he does a ton of stuff, but you know, we're not in the meetings and, and clearly Andy Reed was making a lot more decisions than Matt Nagy when Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator. Right. And uh, I have PTSD about right. trying to go down that road again. So yeah, I, I'm not sure what yeah. the right call is, is for the bears, but I I'm focused on, you know, making sure that the front office is got, you know, a solid foundation and a good structure and let them make the call on the head coach. The one thing I don't want to see is them bringing in Ernie, of course, or someone like that again, oh, that's, to hire that, the head coach to hire the head coach yeah. before they have a, a replacement for Ryan Pace. Yeah. Just can't do that. Do it properly and, and right. get the structure the right way. Yes. Yes. Absolutely agree with that. Ernie, of course, he the book back in the day, giants GM, but no, we don't, we don't need Ernie, of course, he, uh, yeah, that. no, in fact, and, and Ernie, of course, who's a good friend of, of Chris Russo, who I work with all the time now. Uh, so I've talked to Ernie plenty. He's, he's one of the nicest guys on yes, the planet. He's good guy. Great, great guy. guy. And yes. in fact, I even I even told Ernie, I said, Ernie, you were like the first big guest I ever booked because when we were, again, working together, and this was the NFL draft in 2004, you're still the lead producer, but you're on site. And, and I got bumped over to the lead chair in studio and, and someone else was working with me. I don't know who, and I was, you know, ca- calling people and I called Ernie Corsi and that was the Eli Manning, Philip Rivers trade. And Ernie came on and right. got him on the show. And that was, that was like, that was the first significant guest I booked in my career. And I told him that. And, um, and he was just like, well, I'm sure, I'm sure you were polite and deserved or whatever. And I'm like, Ernie, you were, you made the biggest trade in the NFL. You're the GM of yeah. one of the biggest teams in the league. And I'm just some, some peon trying to get John right. kind of thing. Right. But yeah. You know, he's one of those guys who respects anyone. And, and, you know, you always appreciate that when you're working yeah. you know, and trying to book these guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, sure. all right. So it is behind the glass stories the from book. a sports radio producer. And it's behind so the glass, behind the, the glass, the book.com behind the yep. glass, the book.com. Make sure you get a copy. I think any sports fan will enjoy it. You know, you know, Waddle and Waddle and Sylvie stories and, and, and all sorts of, you know, Chicago stories and, you know, national, like the headline, it says from Steinbrenner to Barkley to Jack Lemon. So yes. that's, that's, that's a good enough tease right there. Randy, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for so much time and good catching up with you. Jim, I'm proud of you, buddy. Keep it going, buddy. There he is, Randy Merkin. And I do mean it. Ra- Randy is a great guy and really is, you know, I'll just call it. He really is a, a mentor. Like, you know, I was first getting in the business. I got to Syracuse. This was, I started off at Sporting News Radio as a part-time guy, did some stuff on the overnights, and then they moved me into this show. This was like my first big opportunity to work on an important show at the network. And, you know, Randy was the lead producer. He taught me a lot, brought me along. And uh, and here we are uh, 20 years later at this point. Wow, I just realized that. I started at Sporting News Radio in November of 01, so 20 years and a month ago, I started my career in radio. Oh boy, am I am I getting old. But uh, yeah, definitely check out the book. A lot of great stories in there. You, Any sports fan will enjoy it. Hey, we're around the holidays, so not too late to uh, get a late holiday gift for a sports fan that you need to find a, a holiday gift for. So let's uh let's wrap it up here i mean look we're 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 you know i've said it before groundhog day the chicago bears what's going on with matt nagy we know what's going to happen with matt nagy he's a dead man walking the question is now after this game against seattle they enter the two weeks stretch right the new rule in in football is they can start interviewing coordinators for potential head coaching positions with permission the final two weeks of the regular season. So the Bears will have an opportunity starting that Monday after the Seattle game to start interviewing people for the head coaching position if they fire Matt Nagy on Monday, the 27th. That's the move. If they're not going to take advantage of it, then we know Nagy's going to finish out the year and it'll be another season where the Chicago Bears do not fire a head coach in season. So this Seattle game, and look, at this point, we know Nagy's gone, right? So if Seattle, if the Bears beat Seattle 44 to nothing and just mop the floor with them and, you know, Seattle's got no chance. If that happens, 
it does not matter to Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy's gone. There's nothing he can do in these final three games. He can win them all by 40 points a game, and Justin Fields can throw for 1,200 yards in three games. It does not matter. Matt Nagy is gone as the Chicago Bears head coach. It's just a matter of when. So they got to do it Monday against Seattle if they're going to take advantage of this new rule. And if they're not, then at that point, we know for sure that Matt Nagy will lose his job after the Vikings game, the final game of the regular season. As for the Seattle game, I know I thought the Bears were going to win that game against Minnesota. I mean, the, the way that defense played, I mean, they, they had they had that game right there. If that offense could have figured some things out in the uh, in the red zone, that was that was brutal. But uh, this Seattle game, look, it's on the road. Neither of these teams really have anything to play for. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, could you imagine uh, Russell Wilson? Obviously, was hurt, but he's he's had a down year. Could you imagine if the Chicago Bears gave up three first round picks for Russell Wilson? If that happened, and Russell Wilson came to Chicago and played like this, could you imagine what this what this fan base would be like? Oh man, the terror of not having three first round picks and potentially potentially a washed quarterback. I don't think Russ is washed. I think he's going to bounce back, and I I do think. At this point, there's there's no reason to think the Bears are going to go into Seattle and beat the, the Seahawks. I do think it's going to be close. I don't think this is going to be a, a dominated game one way or the other, but I do think the Seahawks win. And, you know, look, I keep thinking the Bears are going to be able to score points because the Justin Fields is looking better and the offense is looking better, but they can't figure out how to get the ball in the end zone. But I'll still give them 20 points. I'll say 27-20 Seattle, but... Uh, the Chicago Bears here, they, they need to figure out how to score points. It is it is frustrating to watch, uh, especially knowing that uh, the changes that are certainly coming at the end of the year. So that's going to do it for Bears Banter. Make sure you get Randy's book, BehindTheGlassTheBook.com. We'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios. Adios.